Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, October 19. Reach out toward others with sympathy. Don't wait for others to reach out first to you. How many wounded there are stretched out on life's battlefield. Some of them seek to protect themselves from further hurt by a demonstration of cold aloofness. Ignore that attempt. It is merely an act. Become a spiritual medic. Make a special effort to help people who are in psychological pain or in spiritual doubt. You'll be amazed at what a warm smile can do to melt the blocks of ice that encase so many grieving hearts. Anyone who has a sensitive nature, it's it's very complicated to know how to deal with the sufferings of others. And it's also, I mean, it's one of, the mo- one of the realities of life that in many ways is the most disruptive to our own peace. It, it's one thing to be able to accept with equanimity what God has, is asking of me, but sometimes it's much more challenging to accept with, with grace and calmness what God is demanding of others. So the... the What Swami's talking about here is the ability to reach out in sympathy, but it also requires a certain um, inner fortitude and inner faith even to be able to do that. So over the course of uh, about 20 years, starting in 1986, I was uh, one of the leaders of pilgrimage groups that we would take to India based on our spiritual path, we take them on this certain route related to autobiography of a yogi and various other um, places of spiritual significance that we knew about. And uh, especially starting in 1986, India was a very different country at that point. In 1986, India was still following the Gandhian model. I mean, India only became an independent country, you know, in 1948 I believe it was 48. And uh, so it just hadn't been that long, and it was still being influenced by Gandhi's idea that India should close its borders and be its own reality. They, you know, uh, they made the national language at that time Hindi instead of English. By making it Hindi, it completely closed the country, because who else spoke Hindi? But in fact, English became the national language, which is one of the reasons that India has been able to interact with the whole world so powerfully just the irony of the way things work. But India was close to international corporations when we started in 86, and either the next year or the year after, um, there were advertisements for Coca-Cola on the little rowboats in the city of Varanasi. They had just changed, and that just appropriately, it was necessary, as Swami Kriyananda put it, India was, is, too important to the destiny of this planet to remain isolated, it has to participate. But that's a whole nother discussion. But what we saw in India, especially at the beginning, but even still now, 
is scenes that you you just didn't see in the USA. And mostly we were taking Americans. Our trips were almost entirely Americans, almost entirely people who'd never been to India, and almost entirely had never been outside of highly developed westernized countries. So we saw overpopulation, we saw poverty, we saw illness, we saw beggars. We just saw things that we'd never seen before. We were living in this first-class hotel in, in Calcutta, the Grand Hotel it was called, the Grand Hotel, and from our wonderfully beautiful hotel rooms, you could look down on the sidewalk and you could watch people for the five days that we were there. You could watch people carry out their lives on their little piece of sidewalk, which was their home. So you saw a lot that we were not used to seeing. And it was very interesting to me how everybody's response to those well, for us, were extreme conditions. It just varied widely how people felt. <clears throat> <I'm> <clears throat> I had expected to be troubled by it because I have a very, uh, I guess the word is empathic nature. I can sort of, I can feel people's energies and I can be strongly affected by other people's feelings. But I, I don't know, I just floated through it. It didn't bother me. And then over the course of a few years, when I began to watch how differently people responded, some were so agitated they could hardly bear it. I mean, literally, if we go on the street through any difficult situation, you know, we'd have to sort of surround certain of these people with a protective aura. You know, the ones that were comfortable would surround the ones who weren't, and we'd kind of move them through and we'd give them coping techniques <clears throat> so that we could get from ashram to ashram. But this is what I came to understand, and this is what I understood about myself that the key was whether or not an individual had accepted within himself or herself that suffering is a necessary experience to bring us to a deeper understanding of God and to actually bring us to a constant experience of joy. And if one was still unable to accept the divine origin of suffering and the divine purpose of suffering. Now, this is a huge teaching. This is Sanatana Dharma. This is reincarnation. This is karma. This is the guru. This is God's grace. I mean, all of these are involved in, I am on a journey from ignorance to wisdom. I have made mistakes in my many incarnations. I have to experience the consequences of those mistakes, not for punishment, but to bring me to a deeper understanding. And if one pays attention to one's own experiences, reluctantly perhaps, but nonetheless, certainly speaking for myself, I've had to suffer because suffering has taught me things that I could not have learned in any other way. So is suffering bad? If it brings you to what you need, it's exactly like, you know, if you have an operation that is painful, that has a long recovery period, but in the end, doorways of possibility open to you that were not available to you before you had that operation. Was it a bad thing to have the operation? I mean, this is exactly what's happening on the level of our consciousness. And there's another factor of this that, that came to me when I was dealing with the, my parents at the end of their lives. I'm a person with a lot of willpower, a lot of creativity. I have executive abilities. I can go in and make things happen. So when my parents began to decline, 
I rushed into their home and I started reorganizing their lives according to what I thought it should be. And surprise, surprise, they didn't appreciate it. <laughs> I was so well-meaning, but we did not get along. My, it was not a winning strategy. And gradually, you know, I, I was not stupid. I began to notice the dissonance and I didn't enjoy it. And so I started thinking about it and I came to a very interesting understanding, which is by that point in my life, I was not fearless by any means, but I wasn't afraid of my own karma. I, I'd, I'd come to understand that whatever God sent me, one, he would send me the strength to deal with it, and two, it was always going to be appropriate. It, it wouldn't come to me unless it was necessary. It was a necessary operation to, to free me for greater potential, whether in this life or another. But I was actually quite afraid for everybody else. I mean, virtually everybody else. My parents was a very dramatic example, but I was always rushing around and to a certain extent trying to help everybody else get through their karma, but doing it not out of compassion, but out of a fear that they wouldn't be able to handle it, which, to say the very least, was exceedingly disrespectful. So even though I would come in with this great positive intention, what they would receive was the, was the belief, which was true, that I didn't think they could cope and that only I could run their lives, they couldn't run their own lives. And quite naturally, they didn't like that. So I had to ask myself, well, what's the difference between them and me? It's like, if God's going to take care of me and give me only what I need, why would that not be true for everyone? And transferring this back to India, talking about, to my experiences in India, talking about this, reach out in compassion. People are, are lying on, on, on stretchers in the battlefield of life. Even if they're aloof and trying to push you away, it's only because they're sad inside. But we're not able to calmly perceive how much pain there is in the world and calmly reach out with our compassion and hopefully our joy and our love to help move them through it if we're still afraid. Because when you're afraid, you have to expunge all that from the world. It frightens me inside. When I see it outside, it reminds me of my inner state. So I have to just push it away, get away from it. Expunge it, run away from it, deny it, you know, try to crush it, try to change it, all of those things. But if I say, well, we're all on a journey. And let me reach out my hand and help you. What has helped me to get through this kindness? a warm smile. I mean, it's not always that you can sit down with people. I, I won't say not always. It's very rare that you can sit down and say, well, in the Bhagavad Gita, it says, you know, like this. Sometimes that's appropriate, but most of the time it's not. Most of the time, interestingly, and again, I learned this from my own experience, I know what to do. I know what's right, but I'm afraid to do it. It's not that I'm ignorant about it, it's that I'm afraid. And what helps me overcome fear? Well, a helping hand. Uh, many times in my life, I have either asked for or offered, you know, you have to go to the doctor and get really bad news, let me go with you. A friend of mine was caught in a terrible court case when her relatives were trying to steal her property from her. It was just a mess. I said, let me go with you. Let me just sit with you so you won't be alone. 
And I mean, I've said to other people, don't go, don't go by yourself. Take someone with you. It's because it's not that you don't know what to do, but you'll get afraid. But if there's somebody with you, they can help you through it. And, and I remember one particular time when I was doing something that was going to rebound back on me very badly. I was procrastinating. The consequences of procrastination were not going to be good, but I was paralyzed. So someone tried to help me by telling me all the terrible things that were going to happen if I didn't get it together. And the more they talked, the more paralyzed I became. Finally, I was able to say, I know what to do. I'm just scared. Just, just tell me that I can do it. And fortunately, my friend immediately understood and, and shifted from you know trying to frighten me more into, into calmly, quietly, with great affection, just you know, holding my hand and saying, okay, we can do this together. Let's just do this. Let me lend you my strength. And even more than that, let me give you my confidence in you. And sometimes you don't always have to say it. So with my parents, instead of going down, when I figured this out finally, instead of just going down and telling them what should happen, I went down with an attitude of warm compassion for what they were having to deal with, with the confidence that this was their karma. It wasn't my karma, it was their karma. I was looking at it as if, if I were them, this is what I would do, but I was not them. And I would not be in that same situation. There was a, a, a million obvious reasons why it was appropriate for them and not appropriate for me. So the question is, what do you feel that we should do and how can I help you? And all of a sudden, I was on their side. See, that's what, that's what people need, even if they're aloof indifference, don't fall for the act. Everybody wants a friend. Everyone wants to feel that someone is on their side, even if it's just a passing moment. Even if it's just a passing moment, you'll remember. Think how profoundly you remember acts of kindness that were offered to you by friends or strangers. Just the right touch at the right moment. But we have to have that strength within ourselves. We have to be at peace with what God and Guru has sent us and then be able to give to others that same you can do it. With God's help, I know you can do it. Even if you never mention God, even if you never say a word, we just offer that through the warmth of a smile and a kind word. We can do miracles in this world. This is how the world will be repaired, person to person to person, by deep faith in God, projected as kindness. Now, reach out toward others with sympathy. Don't wait for others to reach out first to you. How many wounded there are stretched out on life's battlefield? Some of them seek to protect themselves from further hurt by a demonstration of cold aloofness. Ignore that attempt. It is merely an act. Become a spiritual medic. Make a special effort to help people who are in psychological pain or in spiritual doubt. You'll be amazed at what a warm smile can do to melt the blocks of ice that encase so many grieving hearts. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.